there, pastor, clergy, or community leader. Yeah, you. You know who I'm talking to. Is your community feeling scattered? Are you feeling worn out and frayed? Are you wondering what church looks like in 2021 or beyond? Well, guess what? Faith Street is here to help. Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church and each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. If you're interested, you can go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky because snarky faith listeners can get 20% off. That's faithstreet, F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T.com backslash snarky. You're listening to WCOMLP 103.5 FM, Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity of Christianity, which I have, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. This is not a zone for spiritual escapism, Sunday school answers, or Christianese. We're here to call it religious BS and look for better ways forward. If you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of... Sarcasm. And also a bit of this... Then you've come to the right place. Welcome home. On today's show, we're going to be talking about... Basically, we're going to be talking about the problems with tribalism and why it's better to have a large table than a small table. But before we descend into the snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at www.snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube. We're here, we're there, we're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. And if you like the show, make sure to share, subscribe, and if you're feeling particularly generous, drop a review over on Apple Podcasts too. It helps get the word out to new listeners. If you want to interact more with the show, you can find Snarky Faith page on Facebook. Drop me a line at questions at snarkyfaith.com. And there's even a snarky hotline if you want to leave a message that will probably end up on the air. That number is 919-525-1570. 919-525-1570. So as we begin the show today, boys and girls, I am curious. A show of hands. How's everyone doing? This has been like, it's been great. Like spring is kind of happening here in North Carolina, kind of with fits and starts. So life is teeming around us. And and for whatever weird, weird thing, I don't even know why I'm sharing this with you right now, is that I have, <laughs> I've had like Aerosmith in my head all day. And so like somehow every once in a while, I, I listen to like eclectic groups of music, but sometimes like I get stuff where just like, I don't know. So for whatever reason, my day has been filled with lots of Aerosmith. What's your day been filled with? But you know whose day probably sucks right now? Pretty much anybody living in Palestine 
right now. Yes. And so, uh-huh, I'm going to go ahead and step my foot into this, to what's happening in the Middle East. And, and I think that, now, I'll say this, and a friend of mine I was talking to over the past week phrased this very well. She had put it uh, along these terms of that she, she'd said this. She's like, I stand with the peace-loving Israelis. I stand with the Palestinians. I, <laughs> I think the Hamas are terrible. And I also think Netanyahu is corrupt as hell. And, and so we're in this weird situation where I'm not looking to Gal Gadot the thing where I'm kind of trying to be like, oh, we want peace on both sides, which, of course, peace is great. Peace is great. But one thing that I think, especially when approaching the situation, as I, I didn't really step into it too much over the weekend with people, but I've, I've, I've begun to see over, over the last while about how, how one-sided the conversation is in America regarding Israel and the Palestinians. And, and I posted this saying that it's monumentally bad, it's a monumentally bad reading of scripture to equate the Israel of the Bible to the modern nation state of Israel. You hear that? See, this is something that we really need to get out. This is, this is, this is, this is, it is a monumentally bad reading of scripture to equate the Israel of the Bible to the modern day nation state of Israel. Now I said this because the two are not the same and someone had actually asked a question. I'll give you the answer I gave to them because I think this is important when we begin to engage things and especially in a conversation today that's dealing with, with tribalism I think this, this, this kind of lends itself to the forefront of the conversation. And, and as someone had asked me, what do you mean? Please explain. Um, I simply just said this. The Christian Zionists interpret the Bible to say that modern-day Israel must be supported and protected at all costs due to the claim, that God's, the, the claim that God's gift to her chosen people was the promised land. Such Christian support typically means casting a blind eye to expansions into Palestine and the violence against Palestinians. This perspective is, of course, derived from the writings of the Old Testament, which also happen to be written by ancient Israelites. Uh, which, you know, no conflict of interest there at all. But we also need to mention, when we kind of try to make things easy in our heads here, that the current nation state of Israel didn't exist until the 1900s, officially being founded in 1948. The old kingdom of Israel existed back in the days of BC times. So the names may be the same, but it's really bad Christian theology to assume that both are the same. And furthermore, many conservative Christians also equate the land to prophecies of the end times and the second coming of Christ. Let's insert all the imagery behind the left behind books, Kurt Cameron and other sorts of prophetic wackos of the faith, which we'll get to in a few minutes on the show. Right? So from they, this wacko perspective, they support Israel because they assume Israel will give them Jesus 2.0, which is an entirely selfish mindset. And it's antithetical to Christianity but it fits well within the ethos of conservatives. See, to them, Israel is, n is nothing. Uh, to them, Israel is, is, is more of a blanket allegiance that, that is only justified because they want the rapture to happen ASAP. They want it yesterday. They think Israel is one of those dominoes that needs to fall. So think of this. This is kind of the, this, this, this mindset is more like the process of like Machiavelli than, than anything to do with Jesus. And 
all of this, all of this ends up being very ridiculous and it's illogical and it's not helpful within the modern like geopolitical issues in this region. When we insert all this old weirdness and stuff that doesn't even completely connect, it, it, it convolutes the situation. And from my perspective, to see the Bible as a whole, it says that we are all the children of God created in her image. And there aren't favorites or chosen ones. You can even take the perspective from Psalms 24, 1, that says the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Israel is a modern-day nation-state, and it's not the same as Israel from the Bible. And there are centuries that stand between the two. Not the same. And, and as I begin to just look at what's happening and, and this idea that American Christianity has, by and large, cast a huge blank check to Israel to go and bully around and to send people <laughs> send people out of their homes to bomb people. Now, I understand there's bombing that's happening on both sides, which again, the Hamas, I'm not standing up for the Hamas. The Hamas are the Hamas are kind of like the Palestinian right-wing version and they're kind of battling against Netanyahu, which is the Israeli right-wing version. So it's, there's a lot of racism and hatred that are happening here, but the everyday Palestinian is not part of this. They are trying to live their lives, and they are living their lives in fear. And, and this, this, this particular quote by Sally Cohn struck me um, that I'd read over the weekend, and, and it goes like this. It's, it's too easy to cast the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in terms of Jew, Jews versus Muslims, or even conservatives versus liberals. It's when it's when it's really about right and wrong and oppression and occupation is wrong and whatever the historical defense that you wrap yourself in injustice in the present only perpetuates injustice into the future. And, and I feel like that we have been, we've been dealing with this idea of racial injustice in America for a long time. And we're seeing this, this, this continuing to happen with lives continue to be lost. And, Many times, I think that we, we hear things that make it seem like it's, it's each side on equal footing. But we also have to remember here that Israel is the power broker here. Israel is the one with the big guns. Israel is the one with the land. Israel is the one that is actually causing a mass amounts of death here. So just, just let, let's look. Here's some statistics I'll throw, throw at you from the United Nations, okay? These are from the United Nations. 2000, in the year, sorry, in the year 2020, okay, uh, with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, there were 61 deaths in Israel. 60, 61 Israelis were killed. Palestinians, 2,781. The year before, 2019, there were 133 Israelis killed. How many Palestinians? 15,628. The year before that, 2018, 130 Israeli killed. 31,558 Palestinians were killed. And you can keep going back, and those numbers continue to move in basically the same way that you see here. That this is not, this is not a conflict on equal footing. This, this is a conflict with a bully that is swinging hard against a smaller and marginalized group that's lost their homeland. So am I asking you to pick sides? I'm not. But am I asking you to pick nuance? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. 
because I'm not going to say one side's good and one side's bad. There's a lot of bad on both sides that are happening here, but there's a lot, there's a lot of innocent people dying in the midst of this. And, and because some are agitating on both sides, there are innocent men, women, children, grandmothers, grandfathers, sons, daughters, mothers, fathers that are needlessly dying. And we're seeing this. We're seeing this happen on TV, and this is atrocious. So my advice before you take the typical American Christian stance of saying, I always stand with Israel because Israel and Bible, just realize those two are not the same. So yeah, let's support nuance. Let's support thinking as we move forward. Because if we don't do it, if we don't learn how to follow Jesus and use our brains, we're going to end up like these human vegetables that uh, continue to get paid lots of money on TV. Uh, the Christian Crazy of the Week. And if you're new to the show here, the Christian Crazy is the choicest cuts of the Christian nuts where we highlight the insanity of Christianity. What's wrong with the faith? Because this stuff, it's crazy. And it has nothing to do with Jesus. So let's go ahead and see the best of the worst. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord Hammers, the Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. Oh, first up, we've got one. We've got something. This this was a good fish to catch. <laughs> and if you don't know, most of these from the Christian crazy that we get, uh, I, I scour from several different areas, but huge thanks, huge thanks to the, to the right-wing watch and to the friendly atheist who is a purveyor of a lot of this insanity amongst others out there in the interwebs. But yes, yes, Andrew Womack, who is a evangelist, I would call a human turd, but I kind of feel like that's not really descriptive enough. Here's, here's a description. When I was a kid, my best friend's name was Corey and Corey and I there was a creek that was way back in our neighborhood and we would play in the creek every day finding crawfish and building stuff and every once in a while if we were hot and we didn't have any more water in our water bottles we would drink out of the creek and then one day Corey says I can't play in the creek anymore and I said why he said because I had white diarrhea from drinking in the creek and that is a great description of Andrew Womack he's essentially white diarrhea why do I say this? Because he is, he is a, a, a conservative evangelist that is purveyor of all sorts of inert, just ridiculous thinking. And, and even on his show, he had, this is going to get good, Congresswoman, Congress, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Yes! So I want you just to listen to their little interchange because I love that Bobert goes on a total like Christian BS bender, just throwing out Christian catchwords and phrases right and left that I will tell you she had memorized in church, but she has no damn idea what she's even talking about. But it is adorable that she can spout those weird, weird, weird little Christianese kind of things going on here. So see if you can see it. Just see if you can spot it at all. These people you're talking about, the Democrats, who you know that they don't necessarily agree, but they're so intimidated and controlled, and then just the out-and-out -out attacks on you, how do you handle this personally and keep from becoming negative and hurt? How do you keep your family from being hurt through this? 
the joy of the Lord is my strength. And, uh, you know, with, with, the, uh, with that joy, I draw up from the wells of salvation. And that really is what keeps me strong. Um, I have the armor of God. And that is all forward facing to help me in the battle. I have the helmet of salvation and the, the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth and uh, the sword of the spirit, the shoes of, of peace. That's all forward facing for the battle. So I am well armed to go into this battle. So she's well armed with, all, no, she also carries a gun. See, that's what gets me about a lot of these folks that are that they can spout all this Christian nonsense that she doesn't even know what she's talking about. The joy of the Lord fuels me forward. What does that mean? Oh, I've got the breastplate of salvation. What does that mean? Oh, I've got the sandals of peace. What does that mean? Nothing, nothing. But it's one of those kind of things. I feel like this is kind of like like institutionalized, like Christian, like dirty talk. It's like AMSR, like... Mm, the joy of the Lord. What? Hedge of protection. Mmm. I send up a prayer to the holiest of holies, the Lord Almighty, the Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Emmanuel. Oh! 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 Don't tease me. Don't tease me. <laughs> but I love this, that she can spout all this nonsense, but she also packs heat. Right? The joy of the Lord that gets me. Oh, 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 it's the, it's, it's, it's the word of the Lord that protects me and my gun. Cause I'll shoot a mother if they get in my path because none of this matters. I just love it. I love it. I love all the nonsense that she spews because it is just adorable. It's adorable. She's using like big adult words and like just adult like sounding things that are coming out of her mouth. You just want to pat her on the head and be like, oh, <laughs> I'm so glad you can say big words. Do you know what they mean? No, no, you don't. Uh, uh. <laughs> not many in the Christian crazy know what they say, but they keep saying it anyways, because that's just what they do. Speaking of other grifters and simpletons of the faith, Hank Kuhneman. Yes, yes, yes. Hank's the prophet that knows it all, right? He's the one that predicts everything that happens, except it never happens. But, but, but. Hank has really been digging deep over these past couple weeks when his prophecy of Trump and Trump being elected twice and serving, yeah, all that kind of craziness because, again, tribalism bad and sticking our heads up our asses to think is also bad as well, too. So, so Hank is, like, doubling down on the fact that, you know, he's a prophet, but, you know, don't judge his profiting because you can't judge a prophet unless the prophet is doing what? What is Hank? What is Hank even getting out here? <laughs> oh, Hank, just give us your line of BS. Just go ahead and give it to us. Give it to us, because that's what we want here. We're here for the crazy. Go ahead, Hank. There's been a lot of you know signing of petitions and accountability they're calling for for the prophets. I have no problem with the statement of accountability in the prophetic. I have no uh, no problem with the statement to identify prophets and what they are and false prophets. What I have a problem. Let's hold on, hold on a second as you kind of, you run forward here. You run forward a little fast here. I have no problem with statements of accountability. 
what he should is, if he was honest, he's going to say, I have no problems with statements of accountability. I have just problems with accountability because, <laughs> well, you know, accountability keeps you accountable. I hate that crap, right? <laughs> but let's try to see how he talks his way out of this. Can he? Can he? To his crowd, it'll work. But should it? The problem is, is their statement or their stance. A, a, a lot of times people, they're standing. Um, it's amazing. Nobody wrote a letter and thanked me uh, for all the years that I prophesied the other presidents and, all, all, and, and even President Trump. And No, but as soon as something didn't look like it happened, boy, they jump on the bandwagon to attack you. No. <laughs> oh, poor Hank. Poor Hank. No one has thanked him for this other prophecies that didn't come true that his other prophecies on his programs that continue to make him rich and people should be thanking him because he got rich off of people. Yeah. No one's thanking me. No one's thanking me. Come on people. Come on. It's all about me. <laughs> it really is. It really is with people like this. It's all about them. And my question is how many of those people that are attacking a, are, are you a prophet? So how can you, the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 that the prophets are to judge the prophets. That's what it says. If a prophet is to prophesy, okay, let the others judge the other prophets. That's what he was speaking about. And so, you know, are they prophets? Do they stand in a fivefold office of a prophet? Second, do they have a positional grace and an authority by God? Just because you're a prophet doesn't mean that you might be called to be a prophet to the nation. Okay, there's different rank and file and um, responsibilities that are given to the prophets or to any fivefold office. And, and, and so... You look at the list of people. Are they prophets? Yes or no. Second, if they are prophets, have they been assigned by Jesus, the Lord of the church, this is the holy thing, to prophesy to a nation? Oh, Lord, I didn't realize this was, this was so complicated. I needed to, to, to fill out memos and paperwork and figure out what rank of prophet I am. And, and, and did Jesus actually anoint me? And did he anoint me for the county or the state or the, oh my gosh, the region or the country? I don't even know. I'm such a prophet bumpkin. <laughs> Sorry, Hank, I didn't know. I didn't know all the rules that are published. Where? Like, where? Where? Where are you getting any of this? Like, where does any of this derive from? Oh, you're pulling it out of your ass. That, that actually checks out. You're totally pulling this out of your ass because, hey, 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 hey. I'm a prophet, just like you're a prophet. Because you just declared yourself a prophet. Therefore, I will declare myself a prophet. Generally, prophets try to speak the truth of uh, what God would be saying to power structures. And wait, Kink's kind of in the structure of power, so who is he speaking power to? I don't really know here. But either way, either way, fine, fine, fine. Speaking truth, speaking, okay. Okay, so so I need, before I can say anything, I got to figure out what my rank is and where I'm at and which office I'm assigned to. Who do I pay dues to? Oh, the profiting. It's so complicated. Who knew? Who knew there was such bureaucracy in the heavenly realms? I didn't. I didn't. I must be the fool here. The absolute fool for trying to call out Hank Kuhneman for being an absolute fraud. It's true, but apparently I don't have the 
credentialing <laughs> in the spirit because it's all invisible. Your credentialing is based upon your faith. What do you believe? What do you believe? No, this is just nuts. This is nuts. This is stupidity. And again, no one's going to question him. The people that follow him and fund him aren't going to question him. It's just... It's just really, really... It's just sad. It's not even good lying. Like, it's not even good grifter work. Like, that's what gets me. Like, if you're going to go be a false prophet, like, be a good false prophet. Like, really lead people astray. Don't just play the game that you're essentially just like a used car salesman and greasy because you're a televangelist. So he's just a greasy televangelist because that's what greasy televangelists do. Just They're just greasy. And Hank Kuhneman is very greasy. So that's just what he does. He's very greasy. Hmm. All right. Well, well. We've reached the point where there is plenty more Christian crazy, and I would love to give it all to you. And I did not mean that to sound slightly in my bedroom voice. Oh, baby, I want to give you more Christian crazy. It's there for you. You just got to wait. Mm. Got to savor the show and wait till the end. I don't really know how we went down this road. I apologize in advance that if any of you feel assaulted by what has just happened, I blame greasy Hank Kuhneman. That's all I can do. If he can deflect, so can I. No, my point being here is we're going to hop into our main topic that we're going to talk about today, but there is plenty more Christian crazy. And if you listen to the show, if you listen to the show not on terrestrial radio, like some of you out there, if you listen to this over podcast, you can hear the extra bonus at the end of the show, Christian Crazy. And our theme this week is word vomit. So you're not going to want to miss that with such an appetizing preview that I've given you already. But before we descend to the show, a quick word from our sponsors. Here we go. Hey there, pastor, clergy, or community leader. Yeah, you. You know who I'm talking to. Is your community feeling scattered? Are you feeling worn out and frayed? Are you wondering what church looks like in 2021 or beyond? Guess what? Faith Street is here to help. Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church and each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. Faith Street helps you and your staff spend less time with social media and communications and rely less on Facebook and the weekly email newsletter. It's different from apps you may have seen before because people actually use it and it focuses on substance over style. It's basically the anti-big box Christian community app. Help your people live life together, rally in prayer, participate more consistently, mature spiritually, and give generously. If you're interested, you can go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky because snarky faith listeners can get 20% off. That's faithstreet, F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T.com backslash snarky. Let's descend deep into the snark that I teased earlier that we're going to be talking about uh, the problem with tribalism and why it's better to have a big table than a small table. And because of that, we're going to be journeying through many different places (laughs) as we go through today. Um, The first place that we're going to arrive with, uh, we wanted to, at least I want to begin with a bit of 
let's let's just let's begin with some language that can hopefully ground us as we talk about tribalism. And the first one, uh, the first bit I'm going to read from is comes from Psychology Today, and it's an article called "When Tribalism Goes Bad." So we're going to use this a bit to talk a little bit about tribalism and what happens when it goes bad, to then descend into what we're going to go further with. So the article by Elizabeth Siegel uh, begins like this. Um, We're drawn to our group identities, in part from a place of belonging, and in part from a very real evolutionary need for survival. Human beings are not built to survive without group support. Human babies take many, many years before they can care for themselves. From the time of earliest human history, living as a part of a tribe was beneficial. And there was safety in numbers and a division of labor so that food could be procured by some while others were caring for the young. Due to minimal geographic mobility, most tribes were built with people who were similar and related. And this learned survival through tribal living, while not necessarily genetically programmed, was built on enough generations to be a strong part of our cultural ancestry as human beings. So naturally, back to Stuart here, naturally we as humans want to be able to find homes. We want to be able to find who our people are, where we can rest, where we are not on edge, where we are not uh, at a position we are seeking to protect ourselves, but one where we can be at rest and one where we can work with others. So tribalism in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it, it, through tribalism, we have accomplished great things uh, throughout history. But, 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 uh, there is also a bad side to it. And so continuing in this article, uh, this definition of bad tribalism is, is this. We are built to be tribal, but sometimes tribalism goes too far. The worst type of tribalism is groups aligned to destroy other groups, such as uh, ethnic cleansing and genocide. We have, we have heard the word tribalism used today in reference to our politics, and today our political world, we have bad tribalism. Bad tribalism is group identity that fosters bullying and scapegoating of others not like you. Bad tribalism joins people out of anger, jealousy, and spite, and not collective well-being. The unfortunate irony is that bad tribalism is easy to provoke, but not healthy to maintain. And at the same time, Good tribalism is difficult to build, but healthy to maintain. And when we connect with others to ensure safety and good health, we lower our own stress. So, to recap, to recap, when tribalism, well, tribalism is bad when it is fostering situations when we are calling certain people out, saying they are not part of this, when we are using it to act like a bully, um, to provoke, and to harm others, when we use it as, as a way to be able to silence or smash or destroy others, tribalism is bad. Now, at its greatest idea would be this idea of being able to come together where we can be healthy together collectively as 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 the hope would be as a humanity like that should be like our tribe right <laughs> we live in a world that is falling apart mainly because we live in a world where we are tribal and we can't see our commonness well enough beyond the fact that we are all stuck 
on this blue rock in the middle of space that has 70% water. That alone should be our tribe. That should be our tribalism enough. But it's not. But it's not. And when tribalism goes bad, it, it, it destroys lives. It tears people down. It, it tears people of their dignity, their identity, and their humanity. And when tribalism goes bad, there is only one winner. And there's always a loser. Now, where we are at in society, we would hope that we have moved. We've been able to move much further beyond this, but we haven't. But we really haven't. And, and the next bit of talking piece, before we hop into some scripture, uh, comes from a piece in The Atlantic um, called The Trouble with Tribalism. And this was from Caroline Kitchener uh, from back in 2018. And in this, in this, what Caroline is doing is is interviewing different voices that are uh, different academic voices that can speak to issues of, of tribalism. And Miriam Juan Torres said this, and I, and I, I think this, I think this fits very well within what we're talking about. Um, she said this, she said, tribalism understood as groupness or group affiliation is rooted in human psychology. Everyone everywhere has tribal instincts the need to belong, but these instincts don't operate in the same way for everyone. When people talk of tribalism or us versus them, they often think in binary terms. There are two groups, two tribes. But in a recent study, as she put, we found that Americans can actually be sorted into seven different segments, which are distinct in their values, morals, and worldviews. She said this, there are three segments that compose the right and the left wing segments. So you have, okay, we have the right wing segments, the left wing segments, which is about 33% of the American population. They're high, highly ideological and politically active. Each of the extremes holds a mirror image to each other. Each sees the other side as irrational, agitated, dogmatic, and angry. And for them, the tribal behavior has intensified. Even though they are not even half the population, their dynamics are dangerous as they wield a disproportionate influence in politics and public discourse. The other four tribes, which have the name of the exhausted majority, exhibit a less dramatic tribal behavior. So in many ways, we, we were able to see the, the political landscape of America to where we have those in, in the, on the polls but also those of the exhausted people that are in the middle trying to find their way. Um, and, and I think that, that, that those folks in the middle trying to find our way end up being a lot of us. How do we move forward to make society better? How do we help people in culture to get out of where they're at, to help them to succeed? How do we do this and not do this in a way where it's simply, I'm tearing down another group so I can win. Because I feel like the things that we've heard thus far from these two articles are pointing us in that direction of saying, hmm, we may be able to look at things as a small game, but if we don't look at them larger, we're really missing a, a, a bigger perspective. 
meaning that even as I brought up Israel and Palestine earlier in the show, what are Israel and Palestine doing? They're, they're needlessly throttling each other while normal humans who are not part of regimes or political or government institutions who are doing most of the throttling, there's people trying to live, people trying to make their lives, people trying to feed their families, people just trying to do the best they can, like all of us are trying to do, for ourselves, for our kids, to make the world a better place. And then there are these other entities that seem to speak louder than we do. And they are the ones with the power. They are the ones with the missiles. They are the ones with the weapons. They are the ones that make this seem like this is a very binary argument. Us versus them. Because honestly, when you put it like this, us versus them, you know what's going to happen? Only, only one wins. It's like Thunderdome rules. Two, two enter, one remain. And when we kind of get back into that Cro-Magnum, like, like, like caveman, cavewoman thinking, kind of a Marjorie Taylor kind of thinking, you know, we, we, we get into this place where we are just very like, mm, mm, bad, smack bad. Mm, I want you hit bad. I don't like bad. Good. I like good. I like good. But the hope is that humanity has moved beyond our evolve beyond being Neanderthals, but in our base sense, we don't. And so on that note, we hop into scripture because that is the perfect transition that makes no sense, but should. Because I want to talk about a dinner party and Jesus and a bunch of people in this community and kind of see how Jesus tries to go and, and dissect a lot of this problem by essentially just pointing fingers at everyone. And it's beautiful. I think it's something we can learn from. So the scripture in, in reference that we're going to be kind of talking through today, is it's a story from, this is a story from Luke 14, if you're going to go follow along with me in the Bible, or you can just listen along with me. And what I'm going to try to do is I'll unpack some of the scripture, but also give you a little bit of commentary as we're moving through it. Um, hopefully I'll change my tone enough or at least tell you when I'm editorializing here. So beginning at 14.1, uh, one Sabbath when Jesus went in, in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. And there in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling in his body. Now, what a beginning to the story here. So let's unpack some of this <laughs> on Sabbath. Sabbath being the Jewish holy time here, where for you to understand on the Sabbath, uh, good Jews that loved God and followed all the rules that they were given knew you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So Jesus is going to a Pharisee, uh, a group of really religious scholars that enjoyed questioning Jesus and also trying to poke holes and figure out where he was being a heretic, kind of that thing. So Jesus, understanding what this is, takes his dinner invite, right? And, and back in this, just to give you even more context, we're talking like first century and times. And so dinner is not merely, let's go have some supper, folks, and just eat a little bit of vittles. No. Dinner, especially dinner, when you were inviting a lot of guests in the community, this is also part of, I would almost say, like your, your evening and afternoon entertainment. 
And so on the Sabbath, we don't even know what time this is. So this whole idea is they're going to be sitting around discussing ideas, talking, listening, all of this. So this isn't simply just let's go eat and, and quickly get done here. No, no, this is this is this is like almost a community gathering. This is this is entertainment. This is this is because again, no internet, folks, right? No TV, nothing else is going on. So dinner is the thing here. So Jesus, they bring in front of him a man that apparently sounds like The Rock. He's very swole, or maybe John Cena. I don't know. He's very swole and ripped. No, sorry, bad joke. Uh, no, he's a man suffering from an abnormal swelling on his body. Something is wrong. Okay, so Jesus asked, asked the Pharisees and the ex experts of law, he asked them this question uh, because he knows they're there to test him. Hey, uh, by the way, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So the Pharisees see this guy that's in pain and has a very bad affliction going on, and they remain silent. So taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and sent him on his way. Now, Jesus likes doing this. He likes being very audacious um, in these situations. He knows what he's doing. He's playing with them. It, it, I, I, that's, that's one of the things I kind of love to see that, that in this situation, especially as the story unfolds, Christ is, is, is very much in control of what's happening here. So Jesus is like, oh, no answer. Okay, boop, you're healed. Go ahead on your way. And then he knows the Pharisees are all going to be talking amongst themselves saying, oh, he sinned. He's in trouble. So he turns to ask him, hey, if one of you has a child or even an ox that fell into a well on the Sabbath, would you not immediately pull them out? And again, they had nothing to say because Jesus is trying to challenge what they believe is God's law. And Jesus is poking holes in it because what they have learned to believe is even, it's, it's illogical, it's ridiculous. But, 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 um, he's going to lay something out that's really kind of interesting here for us. So, verse 7. Uh, when he noticed how the guests had, had picked places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you has been invited, may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person a seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence with other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, so in this situation, there are two different kind of groups of, of power. So first of all, there's, there's the one that is hosting the event in this parable that Jesus is telling, and he's not speaking to that person in, in, in this parable. He's speaking to the guests, which would be a lot of the other people in the room. And partially, what he's also doing is playing with them, but essentially saying is that most people want to be seated at a place of prominence. But his way of telling things is, no, it's way better for you to sit at a place where you are humbling yourself. Because one, you will either be humble or someone may actually ask you to come to a better seat at the table. So he's also telling these people, you and the crowd that are invited to these things, remember, being humble matters more than anything. And he continues on, turning, turning, turning this in the parable. And Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, 
If you do, they may invite you back, so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of righteousness. What Jesus is getting at here is one. There's people that suck up to those that are powerful because they themselves want to become powerful. And that is not the path of the kingdom of God. For those that walk in the mold and Jesus, that is not it. Jesus calls people that are supposedly called Christians to walk the path of humility. <laughs> Don't see that today too much. What? No. Okay. But secondly, Jesus is also calling out those that are in power. It's easy for you to continue to invite those that will benefit you, that will feel like they have to give back to you. But since you're wealthy, God would rather have you go invite those that need a place at the table. So in a short, short bit of a statement, Jesus is calling out both sides here at the table. And let's continue on. Here's where it gets even more interesting. When one of those at the table heard him, heard him say this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So again, you have the religious person that is kind of talking like <laughs> Bobert earlier. The, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That is how I confront my enemies with the shield of truth. And yeah, all that kind of, it, it, this person is just speaking out his theological rectum. Blessed is the one to feast in the kingdom of God. And as Jesus politely smacks down what that idiot is saying, Jesus continues in 16 saying this. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time, the banquet, he sent out his servants to tell those who had been invited, hey, come now, Every, everything's ready, come on. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I, I bought a field and I need to go and see it, so excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out, so I don't know, excuse me. So another said, oh, I, mm, not me. I just got married. I can't come. Now, let's break this down in common terms from that time period. These are all really terrible excuses. Now, we would say, if, yes, if some, you invited someone to your birthday party and they said, sorry, I bought a field and I got to go see it. Or I got to go try out some oxen. You may say, what do you mean try them out? That sounds a little disturbing. I'm worried for the oxen. Oh, Lord. No. Um, but what would have happened is, who would buy a field? This is the, 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 speaking to the audience at this time, Jesus is being ridiculous. So who would buy a field and, 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 and to have not seen it first? Who would have bought five, five yoke of oxen and not really seen are they good and how they work in the field? And also at the other idea, this other really bad excuse, well, I just got married and I can't come. So these are all really, really bad excuses now and back then. Okay, so he's pointing this out. So these people have no good answer, and they're almost being insulting in how stupid their answers are to this. Because culturally, if someone is throwing a banquet, you just go. So these are really, really bad excuses. So then in 21, the servant came back and reported his master. 
And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Quick, go out, go out, quickly, into the streets and alleys, to the town and bring the poor, the crippled and the lame, and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get to taste my banquet. So at the same time, Jesus earlier called out those, the haves and the have-nots, and how they try to kind of suck up to each other. But now Jesus is also giving a view of how the kingdom of God works. The master in the situation, God is inviting people to a party. God invites those, ooh, maybe even chosen ones ones that seem like they should know things, maybe ones that go to church every Sunday, ones that, yeah, they're religious folks. And they all have excuses. Why? Because the humble way Jesus already spoke about earlier in this scripture, they don't want to live a humble way. They don't want to live the humble way of the kingdom of God. They don't want that. They want to seem pious. They want to seem religious. They want to seem as if they are good in the eyes of others but they don't want to do what it takes. And at that point, God was like, all right, screw it. Get anybody else in here. I have a very big table. I have a very wide table, and they all need to come. I have room. I have room. I have room. So, how does that speak to us today? Well, first and foremost, it tells us that this idea that that God has a narrow road, a small door, a small way for us to be able to find God. Jesus would say, no, the table's big. Everybody come. It's a party. Get your butts in here. Yet, at the same time, we know that human nature feels way more comfortable if we know who's at the table and if we can approve who's at the table. And even as Jesus was telling us too, that all this where I sit and what I do at the table, it's all about us and it ends up being very inward and selfish. So things to take away from this, the ethics of the kingdom of God say that there is a big table. And at this time, at this time, especially in the first century with the church, the first century church wrestles with this idea. Well, is it for the Jews or the Gentiles? Who's all this for? And again, we keep going back to this idea was, no, no, you're asking the wrong question. The table's big enough for everybody. Yeah, but who should be sitting here? No, 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 I'm, you're not hearing us. The table is big enough for everybody. Yeah, but like everybody, but like, do we need to bring extra chairs and like make sure they don't come? Yeah, oh my God, you guys are missing the friggin' point here. Table is big enough for everyone. And in this parable, Jesus, what he is telling here, which is audacious here, especially in front of the religious leaders at this time, is saying that, hey, you guys, you guys are the ones that were invited and you didn't show up because you were busy with your own crap so much that you didn't understand any of the heart of what God is doing. And you're going to miss out. So there's that, which isn't a small that. <laughs> It's not a small that at all. And, and I, I, I wanted to hop back to 
the article from Psychology Today by by Elizabeth uh, Siegel, where we have to recognize that there is bad, bad, bad mojo. There's bad, bad, badness when it comes to tribalism. Tribalism saying, I'm in and you're out. What? What? How do we begin to change this? How do we make this better? Well, Elizabeth has this, which I think were some good starting points. First, recognize that groups build on a foundation, certain groups build on a foundation of hate, disdain, and anger. And we realize that certain groups build foundations on hate, disdain, and anger. We can begin to see where they're going to get hate, disdain, and anger, right? Okay. So belonging is important, but tribalism in this way is not. Secondly, she says, we can step outside ourselves through empathy and see the world from a different viewpoint. And and ultimately what she's asserting in her article is that we would hope that the tribe that we would belong to is humanity. That would be the hopeful tribe. Because much in the same way, if we want to go Old Testament, much in the same way of what Jesus is saying this, um, is also said by the prophet. I don't know which prophet it is. I don't know what level of prophet he was, Hank. No, from earlier. But the prophet Isaiah said this. Okay. And this is, is Hosea 2 and Hosea 2, 23. Speaks much the same words that Jesus was saying. It says this, I will plant her for myself in the land and I will show my love to the one I called not my love. And I will say to those called not my love, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So there were people that were supposed to be following after God, the religious, same thing in Jesus' time, but somehow could not see God because they were so obsessed with being right and correct and learning how to turn their faith into something that just microscopes details of everything. But God said to those, you're not my people. But then he says, those that aren't my people, I'm going to call those people my people now. And they're going to call me, they're going to say back, you are my God. You are my God. Because when we are stuck in tribalism, we tend to forget why we exist. We tend to focus on small things that don't matter and blow them into becoming major things. We also project a faith that is more selling and bait and switch than it is authentic living. And we learn to demonize others. We learn to hate culture. But that's not big table thinking. Big table thinking says there's more that God has more, that God knows better, and that we need to invite more people to the party. Not to pray a prayer, but to a party. A party where they are recognized and they are seen as equals and they are seen as loved and they are seen as children of God. And because, come on, I told you I've had Aerosmith in my head. And... 
Aerosmith said this, there's something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. Something's wrong with our eyes. And we're seeing things in a different way. And God knows it ain't his. And it sure ain't no surprise. Because we're living on the edge. And I don't want to live on the edge anymore. I want to live in a place where we have wide tables. We invite people. People are loved, affirmed, and know that they have a place and that, that they, are, they are cared for and that they matter. Because that is, a, that is a beautiful picture of God's kingdom. A table big enough for everyone and a party where it doesn't matter where you sit because you all stinking matter. I like that. I like that a lot. And I want us to be people that dream new ways to make this big table, dream new ways to invite new people, dream new ways to love people and tell them that God loves them. Because it's only going to happen if we do it, folks. I'm tired of the charlatans using the name of God to spread evil and hatefulness and tribalism. Let's spread some goodness, some love, the way Jesus called us to. And as I release you out into this wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. Go invite people to your party. Show people what the kingdom of God looks like because it's fun, it's inclusive, and everyone belongs there. That's all I got this week. I will catch you guys again next week. I'm out of here. Peace. Woo. Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations and communities together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church and to each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. If you're a leader of a community of faith, Faith Street should be an app that you definitely check out. Snarky Faith listeners receive 20% off. So all you need to do is go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky. That's F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T dot com backslash snarky. All right. Hey there, guys. Thanks for hanging out at the end. Here's your bonus little bit of snark. I'm trying to figure out where do I begin? Which is the craziest? How do we do this? <laughs> okay, I'll do this. So uh, the theme today is... Uh, word vomit or verbal diarrhea. Either way, it's painting a delicious picture of what these pastors, prophets, and bishops can do. Now, this one here, this one here, oh boy, oh boy, this is Pastor Todd Co Coconado? Yeah, sure, Pastor Todd Coconado here. Pastor Todd, Pastor Todd's a big boy. Like, I don't know how to explain this with in any more terms that, but you'll hear him. He feels like he put on his big boy pants today and he's having some big boy thoughts today. So you need to listen because he's got some ideas. He's a smart man and he's going to tell you how it is, even though he's going to somehow ping pong, ping pong, ping, like just, just like, hit tangents that just go all over the place. But He's a big boy. He's a big boy. And he's got his big boy pastor's pants on. So go ahead, Pastor Todd. Oh, you're adorable. You're adorable, little man. You just do it. You little man. Go for it. They don't want voter ID because they know if there was voter ID, they'd lose. 
just like they lost last time. Okay? Just like, and by the way, if a, if a pipeline can be hacked, you're telling me an election can't be hacked? Come on, come on, man. Come on, man. Rome is burning. While Rome is burning, well, you can't even go to the gas station right now and get gas. <laughs> but you're telling me, hey, just don't say anything controversial, Pastor Todd. Don't say anything controversial. Be careful. Really? Well, that's how we got to this mess that we're in right now, where they're calling guys, girls, and girls, guys. That's how we got to this mess. We're trying to shoot you with chemicals, tell you that you can't travel if you don't do it. Show me your papers. Vaccine passport. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No, we were made for a time as this, to take a stand. We were made for a time as this. This is Joe Biden's America, but really, this is the enemy's America, and what we're seeing right now. He's trying to play his, his last stand, his last hurrah. Trying to make it like it's the end times right now. But he's overplayed his hand. Because this is the time for the church in America to rise up, to stand up. You know what gets me about these idiots and assholes that call about the church rising up. The church needs to do this. You know what the church really needs to rise up and do? It needs to rise up and love people. It needs to rise up and serve people. But why why do none of these folks call for that? Because it's not sexy, but... Jesus told us to be humble, but we want to rise up. No, you got to rise up and love people. I think we got to send little Pastor Chad back to timeout. But you know, someone else, someone else that kind of said timeout to his brain is Bishop Larry Gators here. And Bishop Larry's, <laughs> Bishop Larry's got some views about reality. I'm just going to put it like that. He's got some adorable views about reality and who's alive and not really alive and who's cloned and not cloned because this is a real human. Tom Hanks is dead. Newsflash. (laughs) Tom Hanks is dead. That's right. Joe Biden is dead. Yes. Come on. He took the The shot. The Clintons are dead. Okay. Yes. You've got clones running this country. Right. See, I've got the test fortitude to say what needs to be said. Why? Because I'm a man of God. Amen. Yes. You have to. Truth. Truth. You got Truth. these punctified priests. Well, I, I, I don't want to lose my 501c3. Oh, bitches, come so on. we have to use wisdom. Stop. Okay. You need to sit down and shut up. Yes. That's right. Oh. That's right. That's okay. Right. Exactly. So exactly. Trump is surrounded by the military mm-hmm. at Mar-a-Lago. Yes. That's Trump right has the nuclear codes. That's right. Trump has the military who turned their back on Joe Biden. That's right. right. That's right. And Trump has Air Force One. Patriots, QAnons, President Trump is still the president. All right, come on. What's he going to tell us next? Ted Cruz is a mammal? (laughs) We all know that's not true. We know it's not true. But lastly, the thing that you didn't know you wanted to hear about is the thing that you want to hear about. Because Cat Care is going to tell us how angels and demons work. And all I'll say is it's interesting. And this is what I'm going to leave you with. Sweet dreams. You can't kill a demon, people. Right, right. You, can, you couldn't do it yourself at all, okay? Number one, you're spiritual, you're physical. That's just not going to happen. Um, if, you, if you had a physical sword, it would pass through them. It wouldn't do anything to them, all right? So this is the thing. You, you can have them bound. And, and your guardian angel, number one, 
is not one of the hosts. I have to let you know that. Those right. are totally separate. The guardian angels come under Gabriel, okay? Your guardian angels mostly look like people, but with wings, okay? Uh, the hosts don't, mostly don't ever look like people. They look like creatures, um, or they're made out of things like light or sound. I mean, but they're real, and they're, they're, they're fierce. They can battle the demonic. They can shred them, but not kill them. And I mean, they they will literally shred them. They can leave marks on them. They can't kill them. I've seen, uh, if I find that, I'm going to show it on uh, a live stream. I'll just hold it up and show it to people. I literally took a picture one time when I first invited Heaven's Army. According to the protocol the Father gave me, I invited Heaven's Army to be one of my weapons. They began showing up outside in the sky over my home. And one time, not kidding, there was a whole group of them, the ones that look like lions or the Royal Guard. They had some demons in chains and brought them over my roof, and I got a picture. Now, sometimes the people really? say, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. They were showing me the ones they had captured and were dragging either for judgment, um, because I have been in the courtrooms of heaven where sometimes demons are dragged up and judged, and then the father deals with them. They're either thrown in a dry place, they're they're thrown in chains. Um, that's what Spirit Force is all about. You're going to learn so much about that. So I don't have time. I'll, I won't answer any questions. Ah, no more time. No more questions. Catch you guys again next week. See ya. Hope all is well.